The burden of financial reporting in the private markets has grown by several orders of magnitude in recent years. Gone are the days when a private equity firm could simply send out a quarterly PDF with headline numbers from their funds and portcos. The number of data points that are subject to LP requests continues to shift, regulators are keen to see greater transparency, and fund administrators are under intense pressure to meet these demands. And that is why I sat down with Arthi Kumar, an industry principal in the financial services vertical at Workiva, to talk about the challenges faced by the finance function today. I asked her what can be done to manage these requests and requirements, and what CFOs who are on the verge of a digital transformation should expect from the process. My name is Chase Collum, and this is the Spotlight Podcast. This episode was produced in partnership with Workiva. CFOs, they face increasing pressure every day to drive profitability of the business while streamlining and automating their organization's finance functions. And then now throw in constantly evolving regulatory landscape. CFOs have to lead their organizations through compliance efforts that keep all relevant financial reporting and tax requirements. And so they need to do that by implementing the necessary controls, processes, systems to minimize the risk of non-compliance. This is a relatively new issue. A raft of new regulations and pressure from LPs is forcing finance teams to shore up their reporting playbooks. Private funds, if you just look back just a couple of years, have enjoyed a really strong tailwind almost since the depth of the global financial crisis. And because of how private funds and the companies did not need to necessarily file information with local regulators or release financial statements, there was less transparency, but that's now come into the eyes of the regulators. And they're now saying, hey, it needs to be more transparent. This needs to be more structure and reporting. And they've actually tried to put regulations and proposals in place. But what it means is to meet these looming regulatory requirements, the firms will have to have more agility in managing their business business processes. At the center of this issue is data. LPs increasingly want access to bespoke reporting and the volume of data that needs to be collected, analyzed, and formatted to meet this demand is making the job of a CFO even more difficult. CFOs constantly walk a tightrope between controlling costs and investing in growth opportunities. So they have to do that balance act all the time. So since they oversee many financial processes from budgeting and forecasting to financial reporting and risk management, all of that involves handling very large volumes of data, all the way from the reporting teams, all the way up to CFOs, CCOs, CTOs. Everyone's looking at data because the volume of data is increasing by the day and the complexity of data is increasing. So I think one of the biggest challenge and almost the first challenge that, you know, we hear come out of the mouth of any CFO we talk to or reporting team head we talk to is, you know, oh, just aggregating this data. There's so many multiple sources that it comes from. So we have data coming in from so many different places and different systems and different formats. So aggregating all this data into a central point and then validating that data becomes actually one of the topmost and the first big challenge, right? Adding to the challenge, are the non-financial metrics that are increasingly important to LPs and regulators as well. I would say that, you know, one of the things that is big in this is, of course, the need for financial reporting, but there's also non-financial reporting. Of course, one of the most pressing non-financial issues on the minds of fund administrators today is ESG. Working with ESG data is no longer an optional thing that it used to be. You know, it's almost like you have to. So we do see 
asset managers, PE firms, everyone really moving towards a more disciplined and rigorous approach to evaluating companies and the non-financial performance. But the challenge that's happening is the progress almost is hindered because of inadequate disclosure of ESG risk by issuers and also conflicting ESG taxonomies and ESG ratings. ESG data gathering and reporting is made especially complex by the wide array of approaches to ESG policy across the jurisdictions that the bulk of PE firms target for investment. I will say the EU is probably ahead of this. Their action plan on sustainable finance and the proposed taxonomy. So they've actually generated the headlines and it's almost like North America is, you know, building it up and following and learning almost from there. So their, you know, SFDR will have the greatest impact, I feel, on asset management industry in general, because they've got strict ESG and sustainable labeling requirements and disclosure burdens it puts on funds and managers. Meanwhile, in the U.S., some states have leaned into ESG reporting and others, such as Texas and Florida, have rejected ESG standards in favor of a return to a more tangibly fiduciary approach. But for those firms that are not willing to set aside their ESG goals, even in the face of a backlash, Kumar highlights three data priorities that firms should apply to their ESG integration. So data remains the challenge, um, the availability of real-time data, the data consistency and data methodology and analysis are all key priorities. So I would say those are the three data priorities for PE firms and actually any asset management firms. So they do need to focus on that. They are dependent on publicly available sources of non-financial data, which in most cases they are only disclosed once a year or maybe at the most twice a year. So what we have seen PE and asset management firms do to tackle this challenge, ESG reporting challenge, is one, just enhance their own screening strategies and almost develop their own in-house research expertise. A lot of them have stood up like, you know, head of ESG or a team for ESG and come up with their own ESG scoring methodologies and ratings. So that's one thing we see happening. Second is to understand the data that they're getting from the frameworks and ESG data providers and position themselves better for the future with that ESG data. And three is leverage advanced data and analytic tools to develop forward-looking scenarios. This is how we're seeing PE firms and asset management firms start setting themselves up to be able to start complying with more and more reporting guidelines that we'll see coming as this is evolving in the next few months to a year or so. ESG reporting is only going to continue to drill down deeper, Kumar says. You know, I think, I mean, we'll get more guidance as time goes on, but we also will get more pressure to do more disclosures. Their companies are definitely starting to get creative. That creativity will, of course, include building up internal teams and capabilities, but more and more firms are turning to technology to alleviate the reporting burden. More than ever, I think, you know, technology is shaping the future of everywhere, but asset management industry, you know, in particular, because I also feel like they were very slow to adapt to it. So that's why we're seeing more and more now. But at this point in time, I will say, especially if the last few years and leading into now in the future, technology is completely at a turning point, especially with PE firms and asset management firms. You know, I, I would say with PE firms in particular, every year, you know, it's like limited partners are demanding faster, easier access to information. While General partners are struggling with how best to use technology to support critical investor relationships. So I would say there's a big focus and emphasis on technology transformation and improved investor reporting. 
to meet that challenge. They're finally realizing it's not just okay to do it the old way and like struggle through midnight hours and tick and tie things manually and hope it's all correct. And last minute there's a change and I have to go start back from step one and, you know, recreate the whole thing. You know, they need to be able to you know, know this data and know the information in real time, not like a quarter later, not like 60 days later that, oh, it just gets reported. So I think it is the volume of data, the multitude of regulations that's been hitting this, uh, you know, space, the asset management industry, and needing to keep up with competition are all the big reasons finance transformation and technology has become increasingly important. By automating manual processes, especially for large firms, the resulting efficiency gain can be extremely material. We did have quite a large multi-entity asset management firm, and they started out, and I can share how they like not only started, but how they expanded through that, through the process automation. They were pretty large where they had uh, real estate investment portfolios and investment funds across 700 entities. So every time they you know, bought a property, they had to, of course, report on that. And that could be in different jurisdictions in Asia, you know, in US. Their data was completely fragmented and manual work back and forth from pulling data to like validating it and then going back and forth to review it and ultimately producing this on a monthly basis and then quarterly. So they did decide the, the CTO was almost having um, sleepless nights, you know, it's a, oh my God, the data and the security and like we have to find a solution for this. This is accountants all over the world trying to, you know, to get all this together. So they actually implemented in a two-phased approach, which, you know, a phased approach is always great to, especially when it's this large. So their first phase was really to automate that financial statement preparation process. And they started with automating, um, getting real-time collaboration of everyone that's involved. So everyone's working in real time versus emailing versions back and forth and copying and pasting and getting all that manual workflows out and keeping it all in real time where everyone has permissions and collaboration, everyone's working on it in real time. And then that helped to get, make like centralized templates to collect the data so that it's not coming in all sorts of formats from all different sources. And that helped to get the data consistency, the accuracy. And so once they finished the first phase and they got the financial statement automation done, they literally found out they had already saved like, you know, 2,300 hours during this eight to nine months where they got in and they started preparing one or two cycles of statements. So I think the efficiencies gained from phase one of implementation gave the momentum to launch a second phase. And that's where they got into optimizing their quarterly management reporting that they had to do along with any other fund books and, you know, materials they needed to produce. And so between the two phases, literally almost just automating the workflow and aggregating the data in a central point, they shared that they were able to save 5,000 working hours over the two-year period. 5,000 hours. In case you're doing the math in your head, like I was when Kumar told me this, that amounts to 2.4 years of full-time work. I will tell you, they actually shared that the reason they could even calculate things like that or look at the health of the business is because they had the workflow and automation where they were able to pull the data needed. And it was like, oh, like, they're like yeah, we, we couldn't even do that before. So it's interesting how like, this is where the more value added work comes in, where you can do more of this analysis by removing a lot of this manual non-value added work that they spend time on. 
Of course, that sort of time savings was spread across a large multinational team. But Kumar says that even small teams can see significant efficiency gains when they automate reporting processes. Another example I can share is more of a small to mid-sized firm that had several varieties. They had private equity, they had REITs, they had some BDCs, they had closed-end funds. So they started almost taking a small piece at a time and working through the similar type of automation. But very quickly, they were able to say, oh, now I have my next pool of investments and my next pool of investments. So we have really seen that crawl, walk, run approach, you know, works well or a phased approach. And we've seen the expansion happen pretty quickly because the minute you gain efficiencies, you almost start to wonder, hey, like now I know I can do it in the next one. So we've definitely seen it either across the different types of investments or the different types of teams, or what are you taking a report at a time for, you know, one class of investments, and then expanding that across the entire organization. Kumar says that even though digital transformation can bring massive benefits, implementation doesn't have to be a huge lift. And firms don't have to wait long to start seeing results with the tools available today. We do see that a lot of customers or clients or companies really like to start automating anything they can right away and build on it, because you might have your big dream but you can actually start getting efficiencies right away because you're just starting to automate how the data comes in. And then suddenly we hear, oh, that just saved me like two and a half weeks of back and forth. Oh, and then if you had all your formulas that immediately showed you if something is wrong and you had you know, any validations that are all built in, oh, well, now I know I just need to go look at five things that are wrong versus my 5,000 cells of data, you know, next win. So you start getting these small wins that actually build up. Integrating source systems and reporting systems to be able to talk together and integrating that is a big key. And if you can do that, you can actually start getting these implementations very quickly because it's all like you just need a password, email, you know, security setup, and then you're, you're almost ready to start bringing data implementation teams. There are things like style guides that lock in formatting. We hear that there's hours and hours that teams spend just in every time a data comes, every time a thing, oh, I have to format it. Real-time charts and graphs. Like you don't have to go build your charts and graphs anymore or your tables anymore. They all just feed in. So a lot of those automation of those workflows can be quick wins. That happens right away. Things like version control, because now everybody's in the same document, you know, in real time with permissions, control collaborations. Uh, we hear our customers say all the time, like, there's at least a quick, like, five or six wins that happens within the first reporting cycle. As much as technology has impacted the way that private markets firms do business in recent years, new advancements in AI have the potential to push the envelope even further. Automation has come up in fund administration conversations for the past several years, but the leap forward in generative AI that ChatGPT represents, for example, could just be the tip of the iceberg for what's to come. I think everyone's thinking like, now what's next, right? Once I get all this in play, like, oh my God, I have data in my hands. Like now it's all automated. I have costs all controlled. So it does get to be what's next. And I think this is where we're seeing a lot of the AI come into play to say, hey, like, what else can I determine out of this? It's more like, I think, to build deeper strategies, to grow and make decisions, and also just catching 
anything before anything happens, you know, like uh, we saw it in banking, for example, but more and more with these, you know, AI tools and business intelligence tools, they can actually do more modeling, they can do more analysis, I think to almost predict the growth, predict the future, predict more new avenues if they need to go. That, of course, is getting everyone excited. What else can we do? And we see ChatGPT come in. But what kind of AI can be done? I think there's always still, no matter how much you automate, there are definitely more and more reports that are coming. And of course, I, you know, trend-wise, I mean, ESG is going to be here for a few years by the time you know, we get into the heart of how all the companies will decide to progress on ESG reporting, following it and disclosing. So that, of course, will be a trendy topic, if you want to call it that, for a few years to come. That, again, was Arthi Kumar of Orkiva. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts or at any of PEI Group's various titles online. I'm Chase Collum. Thanks for listening.